you know, you got to have a whole tool belt. I can't go in and install someone's telephone service with a screwdriver. But one thing everybody agrees on is we want broadband for everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota today, talking with Brent Christensen, the president and CEO of the Minnesota Telecom Alliance. Welcome back to the show, Brent. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back. It's uh, it's great to have you on. We're going to be talking about ACAM and extended ACAM, which is the alternative Connect America model. Uh, we'll explain what that is in a minute. Uh, before then, just a little bit of quick history. Uh, what does the MTA do, the Minnesota Telecom Alliance? So we're the trade association that represents what used to be traditional telephone companies and mainly rural broadband providers uh, throughout Minnesota. We've got 41 active members, uh, which are holding companies, which operate over 70 companies throughout the state. And some of the most rural parts, uh, Lumen's our biggest member and our smallest member has 230 customers and everything in between. It's a mix of cooperatives, family owned commercial companies, uh, publicly traded, privately held. And among your members, I, I always think it's worth pointing this out. People don't always expect it. Uh, they often are offering the highest level of services, right? I mean, you're in very rural areas, uh, but it's a high quality service. Yeah, you look at the you know the very first county in Minnesota that was completely fiber to the premises, Big Stone County, and they partnered with with Federated Telephone, which is one of our members. And um, you look at the the great work that Paul Bunyan has done up, up north, and and Bevcom in the south, and you know KM Telecom and Cass, and I could I could go on and on. I mean, sure, and CTC right in between. <laughs> <laughs> and CCC right in between, yeah, they they get it. I mean, I always say that we have the the fourth regulator. You know, we're regulated um, by the Public Utilities Commission, by the Department of Commerce, the FCC, and the Attorney General. Well, the fifth regulator there is our consumer, uh, and they'll come to our they'll come to our house uh, if you're not doing something right. So that's that's the motivator for us. That's something that we're gonna come back to as we talk about this because I think. One of the concerns about the way this is moving forward is that this is a um, the uh, the ACAM model is that it is non-competitive um, in in that uh, it is a like bead in theory anyone could apply although I feel like you know I don't know maybe we'll have a bonus round if you want to talk about this later about uh, how many of your members or what their responses to it are I'm I was just speaking with some folks and I know that um, NTCA just had their uh, their conference and. Sounds yeah. like there's a lot of uh, people that are not planning to go after it, but at any rate, we'll uh, we'll talk about a lot of different aspects of 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 the extended ACAM. Uh, I want to start by just offering something. I'll let you react to this, Brent. Okay. Um, so um, I often say that when the FCC was looking at uh, a map of broadband in the United States circa 2013, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for the Connect America Fund and then also for the for ACAM, which is the alternative to the Connect America Fund, um, as I understand it. Um, yes. they, looked at, they looked at a map and they saw that there was a bunch of places in Minnesota, in North Dakota, South Dakota, um, in Illinois, where a combination of cooperatives, local companies, for-profit, non-profit, a mix, had made a great, amazing investments in fiber optics. And they said, look at all these areas where there's no investment. We need to throw as much money as possible at these people that refuse to invest in these areas. <laughs> and, and, and so that's how the Connect America Fund came about, which I feel like was a massive waste of resources. And then separately, 
they created the 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 ACAM model and they put a bunch of money into the providers that I think had been doing a good job to let them do more of a good job. That's how I would explain this to my mom. I'm not quite sure where to start, but I, you know, I, I, <laughs> it's not the first time you said that about something. I've said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we still have these conversations and I appreciate that fact. And if you want to go all the way back to Connect America Fund, the FCC took universal service money and for the first time ever diverted it from telephone to broadband. I don't think that they ever intended to fix the problem. They tried to learn how to fix the problem, if you will. And so that kind of put the training wheels on everything. They set the Chris, you remember they set their standard at 10 1. Yeah, it was 4 1 before that, right? It was 4 1 before that, but then they, they upped it to 10 1. So the companies that, that got that were the, the larger price cap companies, and they, they did that. But then you look at some of the other things that happened, like Sunrise Township is my favorite example. That township was not going to be satisfied with 10 1. So they, they got together, they put their own money into it, and they worked with the provider, and they worked with who was getting cap money, and they, and they upped it. Um, we have many examples where, where we use state dollars to dial that up and help that. Well, along that way, they figured out what works and what didn't, in, in my opinion. And that's when they came up with the, the alternative Connect America model. And so they, they went to, and what's different about those, I think it's very important for your listeners to understand the difference between the Connect America Fund and BEAD and, and Reconnect and all that other stuff. CAF 1, CAF 2, ACAM 1, ACAM 2, now Enhanced ACAM, that's all funded from the Universal Service Program. Those are given to ILEC areas to build out and build up their areas where they haven't necessarily, two, two things. One, they haven't necessarily made a case to, uh, a business case to make it work. Or, or two, they're, they're, they're planning to do it over a period of time where they don't have to borrow as much money and then they can make that, that case work. So, I have, an, I have an issue with the, the word refused because it, it, they refused to build it because they didn't. Um, it was just wasn't going fast enough. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you this. I would not say that I have evidence of anyone in Minnesota refusing to build. I have a deep skepticism that AT&T built in the Southeast, particularly in Mississippi. So so for me, like I think there are some, but I would not make that claim about anywhere in Minnesota that I know of. And you know, my, my dad used to say we're all interested in our own little pile of strawberries. Well, when it comes to broadband, my pile of strawberries is the state of Minnesota. Sure. And yours, your experience is much farther than than what mine is. So I'm I'm not smart enough to debate you about those areas. I can talk to you about Minnesota's in our in our in our right. what I've seen in our companies. Nonetheless, I think, you know, when I would sum this up, a difference is Connect America Fund, many, many billions of dollars goes to the big providers for fairly limited results at best. Uh, and and not that those, not that CenturyLink, Frontier necessarily broke the rules. They adhe- they seem to have yeah. adhered to the rules and the FCC yeah. uh, has not uh, found fault with them. Although I candidly would like to see the FCC shift more of its um, auditing into bigger companies and less onto the little companies, but sure. uh, I think you could stand that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Connect America Fund, uh, you know, is is sort of that. ACAM comes along, and ACAM is focused on smaller providers. Uh, and um, you have run one of those, and yeah. you are intimately familiar with many of those across Minnesota and the Upper Midwest more broadly. Um, those providers are they're getting uh, money, and and they don't have to compete for it, and they don't have to worry about anyone else getting money in their area. The FCC requires them to build to uh, under ACAM 25 megabits down, three megabits up. Uh, But most of them take that money and they say, we're building an infrastructure that could deliver, you know, like anything because they're building fiber optics. And so I feel like that's a pretty interesting turn. 
Yeah, you know, it is. And and that back to my point about the evolution, you know, you go to CAF one, then you went to CAF two. CAF one was just here's money, do something with it. And that's the poor one. The CAF two comes along as 10 one, uh, because they figured that out. By the time they got to ACAM in, in 2016 or 2017, that's when they when they realized we have to have some performance testing measures with it. So if you accepted that, you said you're going to build two locations. And here's what we're going to give you for a location, you know, per location. And then you have to have performance testing. So that worked out. That worked out so well. They went into ACAM2 and expanded it. Because um, in Minnesota, we had 14 companies that got the original ACAM offer. And then there was like 30 some that, that got an uh, ACAM2 offer. And you're saying, sorry, you're saying ACAM2. And that's that's the exact same thing as E extended ACAM. No, no. no. Oh, ACAM2. Uh, was... I missed that there was an ACAM2. So this is, yeah, this so... is how knowledgeable I am, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, between the two of us, we're probably one smart person. So <laughs> <laughs> um, ACAM2 was, was an offer that was given to companies that didn't qualify for ACAM1 uh, in, in the beginning. And they they had different uh, build out, and then they're they're working to sync up those two programs. Um, but that money runs out in, in 2028. Um, originally, the free ACAM one companies it was going to go out in 2026, uh, but they came along with ACAM two, so they extended new offers to the ACAM one companies, extended out a little bit, but they bumped up the requirements and the number of locations. You know, ACAM one the locations at most you got 35 or 25 three. Uh, but you also had a lot of 10-1 locations, and you even had some 4-1 locations um, that you had to build. And like you said, in Minnesota, nobody built to that. Everybody's building much higher than that and, and pushing that out because they put on, for the first time, you know, performance testing requirements. that we had to test a, a sample of our, of our installs, and we had to do it like for a 24-hour period for a week every quarter. And then they give, they give us a new sample every, every quarter. Um, so, so they're picking who you're testing. They pick who we test and we don't pick that. Um, and so you have to have a pretty reliable network because the latency and the, and the speed tests and all that stuff. Um, but we're, I don't know of anybody in Minnesota that's failed a performance test. We've all passed. And so that's been good. So, so then enhanced day camp comes along and then they, they could have just built on what they did and, and they didn't, you know, for political reasons, they, they added, you know, they took out locations that had an unsubsidized provider, but they also built out or built out in more locations. So like in our area, in, in Christensen communications area, we didn't get any funding for the town of Bedelia because they had 25, at least 25, three, if not more from us and from Comcast. Well, in the enhanced they're they're all, those are all off the table, but if, there wasn't an unsubsidized competitor. We could have got money for that. We ended up saving enough money by doing a lot of the work ourselves that we we were able to generate enough money that we could build out the town of Medelia with fiber. So there's there's a lot of different strategies. You've got companies out there that will that will go out and borrow money and they're just going to build it all at once and then pay for it along the way. You've got other companies that you know that don't want to take and service that debt, so they build as you go, then they didn't go as quite as fast as some of the other ones. But you had, now you've got USF support, which is what that's intended to do to move that needle faster. If I recall correctly, you're not a, a debt guy. You're an anti-debt guy. But I'll just say that last time we argued about it, I was right. Because if you had borrowed money long-term at that, you would be rich <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, 
Okay, so you're right. I'm not a debt guy, but but um, in June of 2020, I did go out and get a line of credit um, so that I could buy three and four years worth of fiber and and stuff because the supply chain issues were were such a problem. Right. So I, I had to be a debt guy, even though I don't want to be a debt guy. Mm-hmm. So I want to run back when you were mentioning the testing and I just, I was at a session of the MTA show uh, in October, probably 2018 or 2019. And there was talk about how this testing was going to happen. And so I'm curious now, the nice thing about fiber, I assume, is you're putting in a brand new ONT that allows you to do testing without having to go to the user's home. But for other folks, they is there any other way to do this? If you had done if you had done DSL upgrades, you would have to like go and knock on the door and ask them to put a box in their network or something. Like, well, you still have to do that with fiber because you can you can go to the ONT, but the ONT doesn't have uh, enough of it uh, doesn't have it built in to do the testing from the ONT. So you have to do it from um, um, well. In our case, like in many cases, in Minnesota, we use Calix equipment, so mm-hmm. you have to have, you have to have a GigaCenter or GigaSpire in the location. To be able to do that well that was an added cost but from that we thought well you know people have problem with buying routers and all that stuff we could put a gigaspire in a location and and monetize that and charge them for managed wi-fi service where they don't have to worry about it we do so we do, we got a new revenue stream out of the deal mm-hmm. uh, but that box is the only thing that's that's capable of of doing that performance testing but so you don't have to interact with the homeowner at all, which is no. a big deal because you don't want to do that. No, so- and you, but you could you could put a Gigaspire or other at Transcata box and other other companies have boxes. You could put a box at the customer premise and then you don't have to go out there ever again mm-hmm. okay. um, to do that. So that that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but like I said, it, it, it turned into, well, how are we going to pay for this extra equipment to, hey, we could offer a new service. And it's right crazy how how many people have taken the managed wi-fi oh no i believe it yeah i mean it's uh you know i have i have relatives who forget the wi-fi password and whatnot and it's uh, a lot nicer to make that phone call not only that calling y'all to to get it fixed you don't have to wait on 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 hold forever to do it right great great yeah yeah you better not or they will come to your house i'm not kidding about that they do well i have I have, you know, I mean, I, I, I manage my own Wi-Fi, but um, if I didn't, I, I get it from a, from a major cable company and uh, I would not enjoy calling them to have to reset it just because of the, oh. the hassle of their customer service. But your, your members have uh, much better customer service. So well, thank you. Um, they, they try. We try. Uh, so, okay. The, um, so where we are with, uh, with, uh, the ACAM is, um, they required 25, three and most of the people are building out, uh, fiber to the home, everyone in Minnesota, uh, most people elsewhere from everything that I've heard, everything that you've heard. Right. Um, yeah, I, I can't tell you it's a hundred percent in Minnesota cause I don't know that, but I, it's pretty darn close. And those who didn't do fiber to the pram are pushing out fiber to the curb and, you know, they're pushing, you have to, to push it out to get that, that service. So, um, and I, I, I believe most of our members are, are able to do way, way more than 25, 30. I mean, now the extended ACAM for how that works is it's a requirement to do 120, right? 100 down 20 up. Um, and that is support then is for, is until 2038. Correct. Yeah, and, and that's remarkable. Yeah, <laughs> that well, just seems so far away. Well, it it is, but it it you know you you kind of you need that stability at least for planning purposes to to 
you know, to plan it out. Now, why they picked 120, I did, it would be nice if, if all the government um, programs would line up because beads requirements are 100 by 100. Um, you know, reconnects is, I believe, is 100 by 100 um, through the RUS program. And, you know, that's, that's way different. So, you know, in those programs, they are, you can apply for those programs outside of your incumbent area or you can be another provider. Um, ACAM is strictly for uh, is strictly for um, incumbent providers that don't have an unsubsidized competitor in their area. And I will tell you, the companies had until last Friday to turn in their their intent on whether they were going to accept it. And I just did a light internal poll of my 41 members and asked them to tell me if they were not taking it. I had 19 companies tell me they're not taking it. Really? Um, yeah, they're they're not going to take it because of the cut in in um, support that they're going to get uh, per year. Um, and some of them have had plans. In, in my family company's case, um, you know, we built our whole model around having everything built out and paid for by the time ACAM went away in 2028. Well, there was a 56% haircut in the support we were going to get, but it was over a longer period. So it is more money, but it's less per year. That mm-hmm. doesn't help us service the debt. That doesn't help us get get to where we need to be. Um, so, and, you know, with supply issues and all that other stuff, it just couldn't do it. Now, that means that those areas will be eligible under BEAD. And so presumably those companies will either themselves be seeking BEAD dollars, or I think they'll be ceding that territory to someone else. I mean, to me, when I look around and I see what Charter and Comcast are doing in rural areas, I'm fairly shocked. Did not see that coming uh, any time in the past, you know. Um, but uh, but it strikes me that not only would they be potentially facing comp- competitors, they'll be facing deep-pocketed competitors who are will be. Um, uh, I guess I'm not going to say anything, you know, negative about them. I'll just I'll just say deep-pocketed competitors. <laughs> We've been faced with this since 1996, and you know, they, yeah, they got deeper pockets, um, but they have different areas of, of focus. And so I, I don't know that there are going to be a lot of competition for, for our member companies. And, and because of like you've said many times about our, our local support and all that stuff. So, but this is a, I mean, that's the world we live in now. I mean, this is, you know, if we wanted this all built out, uh, we could have done it like we did rural electrification. There were no competitors. There are areas in you you serve everybody in that area, and that's kind of the way that ACAM was set up. Okay, this mm-hmm. is your this is your incumbent area. You have to get this level of service to all these people that don't have it today, um, and probably weren't going to get it for a while because as far out and rural as they are, um, but that's not the model that they went with. They 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 want competition, and there's a price to competition, and then sometimes that price is um, everybody's going to walk away from it and go. I don't want any part of that because somebody else could take it. I think that there's a um a problem with the first of all, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I sort of we we danced around it a little bit, but 120, um, extrapolating that out, uh, that's it's wild to me. Um, uh, most yeah. you know, most people have a choice of faster speeds than that. I think 
you know, um, I think the um, across the United States, um, I'd be curious where it is on the on the upload side. But certainly, most people uh, have an internet access connection that offers them more than 100 megabits download because so many cable subscribers have that. Um, the cable system, um, I think, uh, offers you know to most people five to ten upload. Although um, in a in a pretty soon it's going to be much more than that. Um, to me, it's wild that they didn't at least have some sort of like step up or something over time. Yeah, that that would have made a lot of sense. And and um, I don't I don't fully grasp why they didn't. That's obviously political reasons and way above my pay grade. But um, it 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 should be. I do agree with you. It, it should have been a ratcheted system over the time. But the problem is, as soon as you put any kind of speed in statute or in program, um, it's obsolete. I mean, you know, you look at the aspirational goals Minnesota's had since the beginning. Um, they they don't dictate what the customer wants. The customer dictates it. And you've heard me say this before. I mean, our goal in our industry is always to be one step ahead of the customer's needs. If we're two steps ahead, we're at the bleeding edge and we can't pay for it. And if we're even with them, we're too late. So we have to have to provide, be ready to provide those speeds when the customer wants them. Um, and, and I... I don't know why they didn't wrench it up either. That mm -hmm. that probably think, would they had a they had a heck of a time selling this program and, and the way they did it. I can't imagine how they would have done it when you get everybody involved in, in that. Well, and the thing that I find puzzling is and well, I guess I find somewhat frustrating is I I approach things I think kind of like you were thinking about, you know, talking about electrification. It was a universal program, right? And um used a very specific approach involving uh monopoly service territories to get that. We did that with telephone for a while. We're not there yeah. anymore. Um but I feel like the FCC has like as an expert agency, I expect better from them. Uh, and um, and what I'm concerned about is I think, you know, we see I'm I've been um, TDS has been uh, something I've been focused on lately because um, they've they're taking a bunch of, of EA um, of the extended ACAM money. I was actually under the impression they were more of a price cap carrier. Like this is like where for me, like it's a little bit fuzzy. Obviously, they are not <laughs> because they're still eligible here. And, um, you know, I've run in with them and had some strong disagreements in the past. I think they've made great investments in a number of places. You know, it's like a mix, like anything else. Um, but there's areas where I'm familiar with some folks who have been planning to try to get fiber to everyone in a given area. And they were they were on a path to do it, they felt like. And now TDS is going to get E, um, you know, the extended ACAM. And, and I would expect that TDS will build fiber out to a lot of people. But they're not going to build it out to the others, I think. I think like if you look at like the people that um, I think a, a, a small minority of the people will be left behind by TDS from what they are claiming in their statements to the press. But I think I know where some of those are going to be. And now those people aren't eligible for anything better. And, and this is just where I feel like there's a real breakdown in this program design to make sure that we're not leaving families behind unnecessarily. Yeah, I I don't know how you get around that. And I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, in a competitive environment, yeah, TDS is one of my members, and and obviously one of the bigger ones, and and they're not a price cap, um, and I've known them in their leadership for for a very long time. They're they're they would not make that commitment if they weren't going to do it. So mm -hmm. they're going to do it, I, and I believe that with you that the answer is it's going to be fiber to almost everybody, and those that they can't get with fiber, it's gonna they're going to be close enough. They're going to get a lot a lot better speeds than what they're getting today. So that'll take care of that. For the other companies that you know would have applied for a border-to-border -border broadband grant and overbuilt those areas, 
you know, this is the this is the game that we're playing, the rules we're playing the game under. So it's kind of a, the way it is. Well, you know, on the one hand, you I I don't disagree with what you're saying. If if TDS was going to just take the money and run, which I don't think they're going to do, um, I believe they're going to build out and and do that. Um, but on the other hand, for those companies that were going to, you know, apply for an area that no longer that business case doesn't make sense, I think there are other areas for them to go mm-hmm. and areas that aren't covered. By, by the enhanced day cam offer. So I think it, 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 you know, what is it? Close one door, another window opens and, and opportunities are there. So we got plenty of our state left to do. I We did a tour in August with NTCA's foundation and they brought in 16 DC Hill staffers from all over the country. And we did a tour of North Dakota and, and Minnesota um, and showed these people who had never been, many of them had never even been to North Dakota or Minnesota. And we showed them around. Well, North Dakota is like 97% built out with fiber. Well, they can do that. They've had some, you know, advantages that, you know, are unique to their situation and things that don't happen here. They don't have the landmass that we do. And they certainly don't have the population that we do. Um, You know, so we were a little bit behind in there. But if you look at the way the needle has moved, it's it's moving and it's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. We're getting more and more people sign up. The problem is, how do we move that needle and we keep it going at a good pace without, you know, throwing too much money at it all at once and cause the whole thing to collapse, you know, so. You know, this is what I would expect. And so as we're, as we're winding down, I, I think we've covered the keys that I wanted to. And I, um, and I appreciate you, you coming on for these conversations where, you know, like, obviously I say things that, that you might disagree with and vice versa. Um, yeah. What I would expect, and I think I'm curious how you react to this, is that uh, I would expect to see more line extension programs in the future. You know, this is the big bulk of funding, but as we're missing people, the federal data is, is atrocious. Uh, yeah. At some point, maybe they'll realize that um, we're going to do the best we can. Um, but there's going to be a lot of people, and some of those folks are, you know, in the in the extended ACAM, they might be left behind. But I think we'll see states filling in those gaps over time because it's so important to get people connected. That's what I would forecast for a realistic future. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I'm 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 on board with that. Last year, we uh, we were able to pass a bill that had a low density uh, higher match program um, that is part of the state border border grant program. I think it's going to be that. Um, well, mainly because that was our idea. But um, <laughs> the other, because well, I mean, you look at the, the business cases don't always make sense at a 50 50 match, and we we all know that. But we but there's enough of those 50 50 grants out there that still work. So when when's that tipping point? We've had that mm-hmm. conversation since the beginning. Well, now we've got a low density program that's separate that will tip the scales on those business cases and get into those areas. And then I think the line extension is going to what the line extension program did that I didn't see coming is it identified pockets that otherwise would not have existed and we would not have seen to show where there's some need. So that's where the low density can come in and, and tip the scale in that business case. So I, I think you're right. You know, you got to have a whole tool belt. I can't go in and install someone's telephone service with a screwdriver. I got to right. have a screwdriver. I got to side cutters. I got to have pliers. I got to have a wrench. I have all that stuff. This is, the, it's the same thing here. The trick's going to be with all this federal money coming in, in Minnesota, how do we dial it in so that we get most bang for our buck? We're not duplicating efforts and we're not overbuilding, overbuilding projects instead of getting, getting service to everybody. Because the one thing everybody agrees on is we want broadband for everybody. And we want border to border broadband. Everybody agrees to that. 
Right. And actually, that does bring up one thing that I did want to mention, which is um, uh, to be clear, like the federal data is deeply flawed. And there are homes that are not getting extended ACAM uh, support uh, because of a provider that has claimed uh, service that they do not deliver. The FCC's process still allows providers to engage in egregious overstatement without any real fear of repercussions. Uh, And so you're dealing with that for reality. We're working with the state of Minnesota right now. These numbers are not 100% accurate because the offers changed at the last minute a little bit. But um, earlier um, in September, beginning or end of August, beginning of September, when we had the first enhanced ACAM offer, we were we were we looked at the numbers and we identified uh, over 20,000 locations that where LTD broadband had claimed that they could do 250 down and 250 up. Um, yeah, they can do that on a point-to-point system. You can't do that in a broad area, and it took mm-hmm. it took it took over those twenty thousand well twenty thousand eight hundred thirty one locations off the map. That that translated to sixteen million one hundred fifty one thousand dollars a year for fifteen years. That's not coming into the state of Minnesota. That's not going to build out broadband. So it's not that they they it's not like Ardoff where they came in and, and they fraudulently claim they take the money. Their fraudulent claims on their 477 reports, which are not even on their own website, took those locations off the map so other providers couldn't build to them. A friend of mine lives in an area where LTD claims to offer 250 megabit. He went to sign up for it and they said they're not even they're not within miles of him. They're, yeah. They didn't say like, oh, we'd have to like put new. They don't even have a pole that could reach him with any equipment today. Yeah. Uh, and so they have just engaged in um, truly, um, you know, I w- from what I can tell, it, it does appear to be, um, you know, fraudulent filings with the FCC. Well, and, and I can't talk uh, about an, our, our contested case at the Public Utilities Commission, but what I can do is say thank you to the Institute for filing comments. And, and you know, we didn't coordinate any of that. You guys did that on your own, and we very much appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I've said before that, uh, you know, you and I coordinating, usually we just end up arguing. So it doesn't work <laughs> if we try to. <laughs> hey, we've gotten a lot better. <laughs> you know, and, and, and honestly, Chris, I think that's, that's because we, we both listen. And we've started off at, at polar opposites, and I and I I don't think we're quite in the middle there, but we are in quite a few things. So yeah, focus on that, and and you know, and again, this, you got the same goal I do. I want to see broadband to every Minnesotan, and I want to see good broadband to them. Yep. And yep. And we're we're moving in that direction. You know, yeah. I feel like yeah. we could do it faster, but we're doing it. So yeah, we are. We could do it faster, but but again. You know, we have a, a set construction season, so there's only so much we can build at a time. So yeah. we got to get that rhythm. And I and I think we're really close. And I, I really have got to say great things about the Office of Broadband Development. And, you know, they get it. Uh, we just had a meeting with them. They came and presented to our members uh, a week or two ago. And they they understand the problems that, that we've got, which is which is a lot more than just money. I mean, we've, we're having problems with with. Uh, all kinds of permitting and all, mm-hmm. all other kind of government stuff that's getting in the way. And yeah, well, that's a, another common that's challenge, another railroads, uh, <laughs> among <laughs> others, uh, bodies of water, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah. uh, uh, Brent, I uh, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for walking us through the extended ACAM and uh, talking about some of the uh, them, what we think they got right, what they got wrong and uh, and how people what people can expect. Chris, I'm, I'm always happy to be on the show, and thank you very much for your invitation. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. 
Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.